Did you know that the average human spends 92,000 hours at work during their lifetime? That's more than we spend eating, cleaning, driving, watching TV, or even surfing the internet. In fact, work is what we do most. It comes second only to sleeping. Welcome to 92,000 Hours, the podcast that believes in the integration of life and work. I'm your host, Annalisa Holcomb. Before we begin, I wanted to tell you a quick story about why this podcast is so personal to me. I began practicing law at age 26 and learned many valuable lessons, including that I was deeply unhappy at work. Although I was on a path that looked like traditional success, I realized that I needed to quit my job in order to align myself with my passion and purpose. Now I am dedicated to making sure all of our 92,000 hours at work are spent well instead of simply spent. How do we construct a working world that values and accommodates our humanity? How do we construct a life that is not separate from, but fueled by, the purpose we find in our work? In this podcast, we will explore those questions and more. In each episode, I will speak to someone that demonstrates meaning, passion, and purpose in their work. Join me in discovering what happens when we bring our whole selves to our work, schools, and communities. I'm so excited about our guest this week. Mayor Cherie Wood is a lifelong resident of South Salt Lake and is currently serving her third term as the city's mayor. She worked within the city offices for 16 years prior to running for mayor, beginning with processing payments at the front counter of the city's finance department and working through additional positions up through assistant mayor. She is the mother of three boys and attended college evenings and weekends to get her degree. She's our first elected official on the podcast, and today we are talking about integrity. If you remove any reference to work or school or sports or volunteerism or church activity, what is your greatest accomplishment or what have you, what are you most proud of yourself for as a human being? So thank you for giving time to think about this because it's, it's probably the hardest question I've ever been asked in all my interviews, but it's one that I appreciate because it really made me stop and think. Um, and I would have to go back to when I decided to run for mayor. Um, I was told by a lot of individuals that, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. You're not going to win. You can't win. Um, women need to be at home with their children, uh, all of those different things. And basically went into it, uh, with not much support from exist or sitting council members, And so I think I would just, um, I'm proud of myself for not being put in a box and taking a risk on myself. And, um, because we all know that a lot of times women feel like if we don't have all the requirements for a job that we have no business putting in for it and, um, running for political office makes it super interesting because Luckily, I have worked here at the city long enough to know what it should entail or what it should look like, but you really start second guessing yourself if, 
be like, am I really the best person for this job? Because I've had all these different people tell me that, you know, I should be at home. Like there's no way I can raise a family and, and be a mayor. And so basically, um, the greatest pleasure in life is doing what people say you cannot do. And so I live, uh, a lot of my life by taking challenges and, and taking it rather than, um, I guess being put in a box, taking it as a challenge. I love that so much. And I think there's something really important about what you said there, because I just feel like you, even when you talked about women, you know, making sure we have every single qualification before we do something. Um, but the, the courage that it takes to say, I'm the right person for this position and I'm going to go out there and tell you why I, I just wonder, like, will you, maybe you could talk a little bit about, and, and one of the first questions I wanted to ask you is, you know, tell us a little bit about your city. You're the mayor. So like wh- what, what in the world makes somebody say, I want to be the mayor of this city. Can you like, tell us about why you're in love with your city and why this was so important to you to do? Yes. So, you know, when I think about that, I, I have to think clear back when I was growing up, my mom was the assistant to the mayor of South Salt Lake when we were growing up and my best friend, dad was the mayor. And so I feel the like city government was in your blood in, from the beginning. Yes. Infused into my blood. Um, in fact, when we would sleep over at their house, when I would sleep over at their house, um, mayor Davis would put the city to sleep. And so we would sleep out on the trampoline. And, and if we were awake, when he walked by to go get in his car, he's like, girls, do you want to go put the city to bed? And so we're like, yeah. We'd go to 7-Eleven, get a drink, and then we would just drive around the city, just drive around the city and make sure everything's all right. So, and he did that uh, every night. Well, I don't know every night, but, but certainly when you were there, I did it three or four times with him. (laughs) So I feel (laughs) like, um, he did it often enough that it was, I just thought it was cool that you you care that much to just drive around and make sure everything's all right. So Anyway, uh, long story short, my mom really uh, instilled in her kids, I'm the oldest of six, um, for public service. So I'm serving in municipal government as a mayor. I have a brother that's a police officer. I have a sister that's a firefighter. And I have a brother that is a water manager for municipal water. So, um, yeah. What are those other two doing? I mean, come on. Uh, they followed the pathway of my dad and they're in sales. <laughs> <laughs> so we had sales or, or uh, public service. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, I think just giving back, um, I've lived my entire life here in the city. Um, so I've grown up here. Uh, my sons are fourth generation South Salt Lake residents. And so it's just like I bought my first and my second home here. And I just think we have so much potential um, as a community. And sometimes we get a bad rap that it was my goal to make sure that we had the best chance as a community to really shine and have our story be told instead of the story that was always being told for us. Some of our listeners, I think, of course, we'll get listeners who are um, 
some of your constituents, but I'll also have listeners who don't live in Utah, who don't know anything about the city of South Salt Lake. So tell me about the city. What yeah, just like so some broad overview. We are located in the middle of the valley, um, seven and a half square miles. Uh, our daytime population fluctuates to about 80,000 people, but our nighttime population is right around 25,000. And so we have a lot of people that come here to work or pass through here to get to work. Um, so our community is so diverse. Uh, we have so many, I think we have 13% of our population are refugee, refugees. Wow, America. is that like a, is that the most in community? I think, in the most in, I think it is the most in the state. I know the only uh, community that got close was Clearfield at, at a point in time, but We've had um, refugees that come right off the plane. They're in one of our community um, housing, uh, resident, residential housing. And then as they go through the system and become citizens, they then choose to purchase homes and, and live in South Salt Lake, which is super exciting. So our community is so diverse and it's so fun to watch. Um, I have so many people make comments about the fact that they love South Salt Lake so much because of its diversity and, um, and just embracing that. I absolutely understand and agree with that. Um, I've had chances to work with South Salt Lake in different ways and have loved it every time, um, including even like some of the ways that um, I've been able to partake of the, be the great food you have because of the incredible diversity. <laughs> We do have the best um, Asian food. Um, the Afghan kitchen's really good. I mean, they're just, yeah, we have really good food here. Thai <laughs> food. Oh, um, so I'm also interested in how you decide. So I was thinking about this, that you probably, if we were going to talk about your identity, you are lots of different things from a community builder, to a leader, to a boss, to a mom, to um, like being a, a, a female leader. And I'm, I'm interested in how has it been for you to bring those different types of identities to make yourself whole? Like how, how do those play into the role of what we see or what we might identify as what we think a leader or a mayor is supposed to be? Um which is interesting to have this conversation right now with the political climate as it is. Um, but I think that that's why integrity is so important um, these days is because um, every action, every decision you make, if you go through a, a decision-making process of, you know, why you're doing it um, and asking, you know, some important questions and to get positive outcomes it's it's super interesting right now because uh, you know in the political world uh, people just don't trust politicians you know and mm -hmm. I kind of joke about it when somebody calls me a politician um, I say I'm not a politician and the minute I become a politician is the minute that I need to leave this position That's because so our community needs a leader and a community builder, not a politician. Wow. Wouldn't that be amazing if all of our community leaders 
we're able to think that way. I mean, what if what if the United States Senate could actually think that way? We would be getting some stuff done. We would. It would be amazing. Yeah. So I want to talk about, as you mentioned, we're talking about integrity today. And um, I, uh, as I've told you, I particularly chose you to talk about integrity because I think that integrity is central to what we expect from people who are in community leadership positions. And I think that it's one of the reasons when we worry as community members that the people that lead us may not have integrity, that, that we lose trust in all of our governmental entities, right? Like it's a, it's this cycle. And um, I was so specifically with you, but also because I've had opportunity to speak with you. And I really do believe out of any community leader that I've met, and I'm lucky enough to have met many that um, you do put integrity first. And I'm really interested in trying to like really dive into what that might mean and how to put it to work. So one of the first questions I have is I was reading Brene Brown, who has identified what she believes integrity is. And she says that the definition for her of integrity is choosing courage over comfort, choosing what's right over what's fun, fast, or easy. And I wonder... Um, what does that mean to you in your work as an elected official? And um, are there any examples that you might have of how that could have shown up for you, that whole courage over comfort or right over easy? Yes. Um, and it's actually how we met. It's through our promise to Salt Lake. Um, municipal government is streets and water and sewer and garbage and sidewalks and curb and gutter and recycling and um, you know your water sewer those types of things and police um, officers probably yeah public safety um, yeah those types of things that's what people think about first and when I ran in 2009 I spent a lot of time in people's front rooms and I did a lot of listening because. I mean, I know how I feel about this community, but I really wanted to know what other people's concerns, um, their perspectives were. And after five, six months of, you know, talking to a lot of people, you come to find out that um, the concerns kind of were around our public schools. Huh. And the thought is, well, how, how does municipal government get involved? And have anything to do with that our school system our school districts right are over that and i had this opportunity to go back to um harlem's children's zone as a united way board member in 2010 october 2010 so i'd taken office in january 2010 october in harlem going through uh harlem's children's zone and it had been up and running for 20 years and it was run by a nonprofit, so it wasn't from a municipal perspective, but what they were able to accomplish for the youth of Harlem, I mean, yes, it had taken 20 years, but just being able to see that and maybe, I don't know, getting freedom to think that maybe municipal government could find some kind of role in providing the support system around our youth. Um, so coming back from that trip, you know, just to, brainstorming and, and chatting with some um, very intelligent, um, wonderful 
passionate people, uh, you know, we started thinking up these a citywide system of after schools, after school programs for our youth. Um, we went to our school district and just said we'd really like to partner and um, provide after school programs for our youth. And as any problem, or sorry, any uh, initiative starts up, it's usually small. And so we just had one after school program and it's grown now to 14 um, neighborhood centers, uh, half of which are inside our schools and the rest are in just city facilities in neighborhoods where kids are. And so our goal was um, our three promises are every child has the opportunity to go to college and graduate. Um, second is that every child deserves a safe, clean home and neighborhood. And the third promise is that um, everybody has the opportunity to be healthy and prosper. And so as we thought about those goals and what we could do, um, we announced the initiative Promise South Salt Lake. And then short two years after that, I started thinking, you know, what we saw in Harlem was 20 years old. And I don't know if I can or if I will be mayor for 20 years, but I really feel passionately that this is something special that our community needs for 20 years to really start making a difference in our community. And so I institutionalized it by making it a city department because I wanted it. So like we have a department of um, public safety, yeah, public safety, public works. Uh, we have a department of promise South Salt Lake. And um, how hard was that to make that happen? It was, it was hard only to try to take, to jump off the cliff because it was a lot of promises that we were making. And I don't make promises like, I, you know, I feel like I personally made those promises to all the kids of our community and to our families. And so um, I really <laughs> kind of felt like I was, you know, taking a big leap of faith and really hoping that um, just because I felt our community needed it so badly, I was just really hoping that it would, it would work. And how did it go during the process? Um, so, you know, I had people come up and say, so you, you want every child to go to college. What about trade school? And I said, we leave college open. Like we believe anything after high school is anything that's going to help them, you know, support their families, be uh, productive citizens. Like that's what college is. I remember having a conversation with you once and it was about that. It was about that. Gosh. And it, it I think it might even go back to the difference between um, community leaders and politicians because creating a city system that in the rest of the country we rely on nonprofits to do is a really big mm -hmm. thing. And I wonder how much your authenticity and integrity as a mom played into the way that you were thinking about kids in your city. Uh, yeah, that actually that was kind of a blessing in disguise as I was raising my sons here. Um, each situation that I would have with them, it, it really 
caught my attention, made me take a couple steps back and say, you know, I've lived here my whole entire life. Um, I have an amazing, very broad support system here. I speak the language um, and I know the systems that are existing. And I just thought, you know, we have so many, um, we're so diverse. What, how are, how are those moms feeling when they run into these issues? You know, how can we better help them navigate these systems um, to, to help their children? Cause they want to help their children just as much as I wanted to help my children. And so I think every time that we needed to look to expand promise or like the next big step, I kind of was going through a, a personal situation with one of my children that um, would be like a struggle to get them. Like one was to get a, uh, my youngest into preschool, like just getting him into preschool. He was on waiting lists everywhere. And so I thought, wow, <clears throat> if we don't have enough preschool slots here um, for our kids, there's just so much benefit for our kids to start off in preschool um, to get where they need to be for their kindergarten readiness. And um, if so you as the mayor have your kid on waiting lists, what is it like to be the new immigrant mom who doesn't speak exactly. English and is trying to figure it out? Yeah. Which I would never <laughs> say I'm the mayor. <laughs> Why is my kid on the list? Um, so, but yeah, no, I felt that way. I thought, wow, like it's, 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 it's rough out here. And so um, we worked with some different partners um, and we were able to get enough slots for every child that was preschool age, um, a slot in either um, our Head Start or our uh, district, Granite District preschool classes. And so it, that was just a, a huge win. Um, but by the time you get it done, my son was already <laughs> like in first grade, <laughs> but no. So it was like, it's just eye opening because it's, it's the things that um, I don't know that I would have been able to jump off the cliff <laughs> as far as I did. Um, not knowing that the need was so great yeah, and seeing it personally. So. I love that. And I wanted to also ask you about the, um, like your, your commitments, they're like, they're freaking brave. I just think, uh, and I remember having the conversation with you about that commitment that um, I'll always remember. And at the time I remember that you knew the number of kids who were 18 and under in your city. I was like, what? Um, I'd never talked to a mayor that knows how many kids are 18 and under and would say, and every single one of them is entitled to post-secondary education, every single one. And I remember asking you about that. I don't remember if you, if you remember the story, but um, like, how, why didn't you say 90% of them? I I've, like, there's no, you know, organization that says a hundred percent of anything and makes a promise that way. So can you talk about what led you to say, led you to say that? Yes. So it was very important as we were um, putting the promises into words that we used every child, every child, every person. Um, we know that if we are in a classroom of, you know, 
10 kids that we say, you know, we want 60% of you to go to college. 90% of them think that you're referring to the, not them, right? They're in the 40%, not the 60%. Yeah. And so um, it was interesting. We were, as we were uh, launching Promise, we were, every opportunity we had to talk to different departments or um, we have youth city council that we, so these are, you know, outgoing um, stellar youth that are, you know, community services in their blood. And we went and told them this, that our three promises and they were taken back and, and one said, even me. Oh. And I, I thought, oh my gosh, especially you, right? Like, yeah. no, every single one of you, if it is your desire to do this, like we are going to make sure there are people here that will help you get there. So yeah. Yeah. Every child, every child, every person. And those are our promises is because we don't want anybody thinking that they're in some percentage that we're not always thinking about. So I love that so much. And it makes me feel a little weepy to have a kid say to you, like, even me, like yeah. I, I matter that much. Yeah. Yeah. But it's shocking. Yeah. And important, really important. Um, I was thinking about, um, about the language of integrity and I don't know if you would define it differently than how Brene Brown does, but I'm interested in like how you think about integrity in your daily life, whether it's in your elected position or just, you know, with your friends or with your kids or whatever, like what does integrity mean to you? So I, I think Brene Brown does a great example and that's why I would bring up Promise House Salt Lake because it was very um, courageous to do that. It wasn't comfortable and there were some really uncomfortable conversations um, when we were starting at Promise and um, just scary. It was scary because um, mm -hmm. there was so much at risk. I felt like in our community, if we didn't get something up and going. So, you know, I just, and I there was probably personal risk that if it didn't work out, you were out. Probably. Yes. Well, there's always personal risk when you have <laughs> to run for re-election every four years. Um, but Promise grew to be so many solutions to community issues that it's hard to it's hard to do a 30 second elevator speech for Mike because it's so like every time we've identified an issue in our community, um, we sit down with our Promise staff and just say, okay, what how how can we address this community issue? What are some uh, examples? So like mental health, we had huh. a high suicide rate at a point in time. And so that was really stressful. And, you know, we felt like if there is something that we can do, we absolutely wanted to do it. I don't see integrity being any different as a mom. Um, I feel like it's very important that I'm teaching my children integrity and in, in all that they do. I think the reason why integrity is so important and to me, it seems easy in this position is that I know why I make decisions. I know what information I had when I made that decision. And my goal is always to better the community with that decision. 
If this conversation has caught your attention and you want to join in on conversations like this, check out our website at connectioncollaborative.com. Welcome back. You are listening to 92,000 Hours. Today, we are talking to Mayor Cherie Wood. You've said something to me about um, having people around you who can play devil's advocate or tell you to your face, you know, like, you, no, you're wrong or, or whatever. Yeah. Can you talk about how important that is yes, to remain yeah. in integrity? Or yeah. do you have any examples? Yeah. So there's, there's value to that. And I've often, um, some of my closest staff, um, we go through sometimes a banter on an issue. We go back and forth and I think perspectives are so valuable. And that's one thing as I have, uh, been here 27 years, but as I've seen other mayors work that everybody's perspective, um, wasn't always welcome. And I think we do a huge disservice to um, our community or to our organization when you're not allowing certain perspectives, because uh, you're not really solving problems a whole, you know, the problem as a whole. So, one um, kind of a funny example that just happened this last week. I was at coffee with a cop, and we were all introducing ourselves. Um, and a resident was introducing herself, and her. Um, her name. And then she said, and I'm the thorn in everybody's side. I'm the one that complains about everything. I'm the one that bugs everybody. I, you know, and just, and went on. And I, after she got done speaking and I said, you know what? I think you are so valuable. You are, uh, you are not a thorn in the side, in a side, in any of our sites, um, your concerns and your perspective is valuable. Um, we need to have that at the table when we're making decisions. Um, we need to think about things from every different way, uh, as we're making these big community decisions. So that was kind of a, just a fun recent one that I was like, well, you're not the thorn that you think you are. You're, you're added value to our conversations for sure. So I love that. I had, I was, I have this group of, um, I used to work with, a group facilitated coaching group. And we would talk about things. And one of them was um, sometimes I think we're talking about integrity when we don't even realize that we're talking about integrity. Like we can talk around it and not realize that that's what it is. And I remember in this group one day, um, someone was talking about like, I really need help because I used to love my job so much. And lately it just doesn't feel right. And I don't know what it is, but I just don't feel good about my job. And like, it took us a while to drill down. And then we realized that, that this person was talking about something had changed at work, um, that now he was out of integrity, just being there, just working there. There was something about the way that his work had gone before and the way that it was changing direction or the culture had changed that he hadn't realized that like he personally, it might be okay for other people, but now he was out of integrity by being in that environment. Um, isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's super interesting. And, and that's, I think what I was trying to touch on about, um, every team player, you know, needs to understand why 
And we need to understand if it's, if it puts them out of integrity, why? Yeah. Does so that, cause again, maybe this new culture, this pivot or, you know, the solution is just not the right way. And I think we dance around integrity um, so much because it, it's made up of being honest and helping others and keeping promises and generating trust and, and so many different things. And so you might be talking about helping others um, or generating trust, but when you really start talking about it, it's all of those things that make up integrity. So I totally I, agree. Uh, I totally agree. In fact, one of my questions was, I was like, um, uh, can we, uh, live in our integrity if we haven't fully understood our own values? Like, is that, I wonder if that's possible. If we, if I don't know what my values are, will I know if I am living in integrity or because I think integrity is more than just like keeping a promise. It's, it's more about being true to who you are. Yes. Well, Yes. And I have, I've often said this is that, you know, after I make this big decision or um, take this action, I need to be able to go home and still have my children's respect and I need to be able to sleep at night. So that's, that's how I would say it's like your self check, right? It's like, yeah, no, if I do this, am I going to be able to go home and sleep at night? Is it being true to, you know, who I am and, and my, intentions in the situation. So you mentioned something earlier about generating trust. And, um, I also have this quote from you that I have from in the past where you said something like the worst thing you can do is assume or pretend to know what people need. And I'm interested in like that real act of like honestly listening, but also seeking out opportunities to listen and how important that is to trust, which then is also part of integrity. So like, I feel like that's all really, really related. Can you talk a little bit about that? What that means for you, that whole act of listening in terms of leadership? Yeah. So um, again, yeah, I do think it's a big mistake to think that um, I know what everybody's struggle is in our community. I know what mine are. And um I like to see if, if others are sharing those, but in sometimes just seeking uh, input from others, you find out that they're dealing with this other big thing. And you're like, Oh, wow. I'm that's interesting. We need to see what we can do um, to address that. So, yeah, I think it's so important to listen, but I think just as important as listening is, following up and doing something. And that's how you generate trust is people start trusting that they can be open and honest with you and share their perspective. It will be respected and some sort of action will be taken to improve if possible. Cause there are some things we, you know, municipal government cannot solve, (laughs) uh, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I'm always uh, very aware when we ask employees, you know, what they need, um, that we follow up with some kind of improvement um, or plan for improvement. Uh, you keep asking questions of people and, and asking for their perspectives and they're willing to share it and then you don't do anything. I think that's offensive to people and 
that's how you lose trust really quick. Yeah. What are some of the ways that you can't, do you ever have to explain to people like, I heard you, I saw that, but now we can't do it. And then here's why. Do you do that too? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think in Promise Salsa Lake, because um, the work that we do, a lot of the work we do in Promise Salsa Lake is close to what nonprofits do. But because we're municipal government and they're taxpayer dollars, um, we have laws we have to follow. And so there's certain things that we can't do that maybe a nonprofit could do. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, you know, those conversations are this way, but we follow up with, we have a partner that can help us do this. And then we reach out um, to that partner to see if we can um, send that family or these individuals there to, to get the help that they're requesting. Tell me about, um, how you make decisions with your kids as part of that. I get a lot of questions from, um, our listeners. I had, we did a session on, uh, priorities and it was, um, Sylvia Castro spoke and she talked about how everything changed. Like she really thinks differently about how she prioritizes her life after she had a child. And I'm really interested in how, um, how you prioritize having a full life when you have such an important job. Yeah. Um, things, everything changes after you have children. (laughs) Um, when I started, when I was first, um, elected, I had a two-year-old, a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old. And, um, I had been forced to have that conversation about how I was going to prioritize, um, this big job and my role as a mom to three boys, um, as I was campaigning because so many people said, you know, you, you're not going to be a good mom. If you, I mean, you can't do this job good and you can't be a good mom. You can't do both. So you're just going to have to figure out. And so, you know, like, which one is more important to you? Yeah. Like the quote might be like right in the question without them saying it was there. It was there, but I did feel strongly about, um, what better as a mom to be in a situation where I could also impact the community that my kids are growing up in and make changes for them in, you know, in a larger way, as well as, um, being an example and, um, helping them as they grow up. But yeah, they're my number one priority. And honestly, I don't think I would be the mayor that I am if I didn't have them and didn't have the experiences with them and the desire to want to help them be their best. Would it trickle over into, you know, promise and really caring about all the, all the children in our community. That's really forces you to think a different way. Yeah, that's really good. And I think it's an incredible lesson for our listeners about when, when, when we as women are thinking about our roles and what we can do in our lives to be able to think in some ways about our, both our femininity and also our motherhood as kind of a leadership superpower. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and even though I had a two-year-old and he was a full on red-blooded two-year-old <laughs> firecracker. Um, I took him everywhere with me and I just thought, you know, I don't, 
I am a mom. I am a mom first and I'm a mayor second. And I'm going to prove to you that I'm going to be a very effective mayor because I'm a mom. And uh, some of the best stories <laughs> are include from your campaign trail. <laughs> yeah, include my son because he's just, <laughs> you know, super fun. <laughs> I'm sure he probably said things or did things that you were not oh, expecting yeah. during meetings. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't wouldn't take him to like work, <laughs> but um, one time I w- was speaking at the Fourth of July. And I don't think he really understood that I was the mayor, um, but he watched SpongeBob and SpongeBob had a mayor all of a sudden. So he was, you know, mayor, he was thinking about those things. And um, they announced that Shree Wood, mayor of South Salt Lake was going to get up and speak after somebody sings. And so um, right there, top of his lungs, and he is sitting on the, up there with me, he says, Mom, you the mayo? And I said, <laughs> I was like, yeah, bud. He's like, that's so freaking awesome, Mom. <laughs> so, you know. I hope somebody has a recording of that somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he just, you know, says it like it is, you know, out of the mouth of babes. And like, it was fun to be there as he was realizing that that I was mayor and that that was kind of a, a big job. So it's kind I of love fun. it. I, and, and how important is it for your kids to then see you as like, I just love that. He's like, okay, so you're just mom. And now I realize, even though you're sitting on a stage at the 4th of July, he's like, oh, wait, this is a big job. You have <laughs> somehow you've pulled it off so far that he didn't realize that yeah. you're the mayor. Yeah. One time we were driving down the street and he, he saw a South Salt Lake police officer and he goes, mom, those are cops. And I said, yeah, buddy, those are my cops. So, yeah, <laughs> I love that so much. That's awesome. So I was also interested and this is, this may or may not be appropriate. So we'll decide as we talk about it. But um, I do think that this, and I don't mean so much to talk about gender, but I do think that it has something to do with leadership. And I, and I've not had an opportunity to interview someone in a, um, like a a citywide role like this, who is also female. And I also know that you have a lot of women who are in your cabinet and I'm interested in how that plays out for you and what that's like. And the, and I, I specifically, and we can take this out, but I, you know, there's like the whole, um, the whole joke of uh, the SNL quote about they use a different word for women and they off and they use a different word for stuff, but it's basically, it's, it's, uh, um, Tina Fey <laughs> saying, uh, women get stuff done. She just uses different language than that. So yeah. talk to me about, I mean, was that purposeful or did just these women rise through the ranks or talk to me about what it's like to be on a leadership team that has many women on it? Yeah. So that is probably, um, short of promise South Salt Lake. I think that that's probably the other thing that I'm really proud about is when I took office, I was, I am the first female mayor in South Salt Lake, but we had seven, um, males that were the city council. Um, and I only had one department head that was female. So I'd go into these, um, cabinet meetings and that there'd be me and another 
woman. And so as opportunities have come, we have now about 50% of our staff, our department heads are female. And that's something that I'm very um, proud about. Uh, I think that they add so much to the conversation. And we now at city council, we have five female council members and two male council members. And so, wow, yeah, that's great. Some of these female, some of these women, um, I have gone to them and said, you know, you really need to think about running. We really need some different perspectives on the council. We just need, you know, more conversation. We need to understand. Somebody was telling me that, um, when women are in leadership positions, they share their knowledge. They share it with the upcoming generation. They share it with, um, with everyone. And so, and then males don't so much share it. And again, I don't know if that's true, but I always like put it to the test when I see a situation. Um, do I feel that And even if I don't, I take it as a personal challenge to make sure that I am sharing um, all that I know with young women that, you know, maybe I've never even thought of doing something like, you know, running for political office or, um, you know, working in a municipal government type role. So, yeah, we have uh, have great conversations and I, I think... That's one thing it's been fun to see flip. One of the things I think about with regard to women in leadership, and I've, I've studied it and I've thought about it a lot, and it's this whole like the relational aspect of women um, that really, that women over time, I, and I, I read this book that I loved called Disappearing Acts that is about um, how over time leader, we've, we've even called them soft skills, which is in some ways hilarious because the ability to communicate well and to bring people along and to make sure that people know how to be part of a team and all that stuff that we now know are like the most important leadership skills. We ended up calling them soft skills because over, like, as we studied leadership, we were studying male leadership in companies since, you know, like the thirties through now and, and the people, the same, like there, and there are important leadership skills that those men brought, but there were also just as important leadership skills that we ended up calling soft skills that we didn't count as much because over time it was probably their assistants and their wives that were doing all that work. And, um, and I'm really just kind of interested in, as we think about women becoming more in more and more roles, you know, we, we have a woman vice president. That's great. Um, but what is the, how do we emphasize that these soft skills are leadership skills and how do you see any of those like relational aspects play out in your role as a leader? So we meet as a, as mayors, um, throughout the County once a month, it's called conference of mayors. And, um, there was, there's a handful, this was like six years ago or something when, you know, we were really, uh, promise was expanding and male mayors would bring these problems. And that's kind of what we would do. We'd get together and talk about our community's issues and potential solutions. And, um, and I can't remember what the problem was, but I thought, oh my goodness, like I can totally apply the mission of promise house at Lake 
to that solution for this mayor and I attempted to do so. And I remember when I got done, I just, I felt like they just patted me on the back and it's like, oh, Mayor Wood, you know, she's just always thinking about the kids instead of like taking it as like a legit potential solution to an issue he brought to the table. And so I just kind of felt, all right. So you got patted on your head to go over here when you're like, look at this solution. Yeah. Yeah. And then I fixed that by the next time I hosted um, conference of mayors and it was years later and different makeup of, of mayors, but um, I had them all come here and I did a promise house like tour with them and they just could not stop. They're like, mayor Wood, this is the most amazing thing we've ever seen. Like um, I had one say your, you probably don't have the issues of trust with your police officers, like some of our other communities because of the, of this program. And, and I thought, yeah, we probably don't. I mean, I don't feel like we have the issues. Um, I'm not going to, you know, put up a wall saying, you know, can't be there or whatever, but I just was, it was funny that their, their tune had completely changed after they had like a visual of what was, what it was. And, um, the success that we were seeing from it as a community. So do you have any advice for people who are, for example, that like, how can our listeners, um, do you have any advice about what it would be like to just be themselves authentically to be like, yes, I'm the mom. Yep. Here's my kid. Yes. I'm going to put children first or yes. Um, I also can put police safety for like, I can do all those things at the same time. Um, do you have any advice on, like what we either what we can tell our young women about how we could potentially mentor them coming up or, or second, you know, like how could we help each other? No, I think that's a good question. I've actually, I feel like we're seeing the pendulum swing because I think um, women that are around my age have um, we've had to do a, a, a dance to get where we're at. And I think that, I mean, with some of these um, younger female professional females that I have, even on my staff, I see them coming in with their authentic self and the confidence that I don't feel like I had when I was their age. And so I'm so happy to see um, that pendulum swinging back to where they feel like there's room for them to be their authentic self. And that that's actually of so much value to, whatever position they're in or whatever group they're leading. And so, but yeah, I've spent time thinking about that and thinking about my path and it being different and um, that sometimes your authentic self isn't really something you can talk about in all rooms um, or let it out in all rooms. And so um, now I'm in a position that I can And I do feel like it is my responsibility to make it so other women can so that they feel comfortable in doing that. I love it. But that's a way for us to see our own path and that we might belong in positions of power as well. Yeah. And once you get there, you absolutely need to help other women get there. I don't know if I, I'm sure I've told you this because we've had lots of conversations, but it took a man telling me I should run for mayor. Like I honestly had never thought about running for office, but it took the mayor previous to me. um, I was his chief of staff. He brought me in his office and he said, you should run for mayor. And I thought people are mean. 
politics suck. I don't want to do this. I see what you go through. But honestly, by him planting that seed, I, to that minute, had never thought about running for office. And then I thought, well, why not? Like, if I just, you know, trust my instinct and my passion for this community, like, I could do this. All my institutional knowledge for 17 years is South Salt Lake, all things South Salt Lake. But I've told women, groups of young women, when I've had the opportunity to speak to them, I've said, if I have to be the person that plants that seed, run for office, do something big and scary. If, if you feel like you need permission or, or a, a jab to do it, to push you off the cliff, then let me be that person because you definitely should be thinking big like that. So Thank you so much for doing this with me today. I have looked forward to it for such a long time. And I was, I mean, I know that you don't have to spend your time doing stuff like this. You don't have to spend an afternoon with me doing this. You have lots of really big, important things to do. Um, But I also think it goes to your integrity that you are willing to talk to anybody about um, who you are and about what you're passionate about. And I'm super grateful. Thank you. You are super fun to chat with. So I am so grateful to Mayor Wood for her openness and introspection. You can learn more about Mayor Wood and her city on their website at www.sslc.com. And you can find her on Twitter and Facebook as well. Next week, we will be joined by Brody Levin. Brody is a professional adventure skier who has found a way to turn that into an actual profession. And we will be talking about authenticity. As always, thank you for listening to 92,000 Hours. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. We really appreciate your support. If you're interested in integrating the personal and professional through authentic conversation, just like you heard on our episode today, please check out our work at Connection Collaborative. You can find us at connectioncollaborative.com or send me an email at annalisa at connectioncollaborative.com. Thank you and see you next week on 92,000 Hours. Ninety-two thousand hours is made possible by Connection Collaborative. This episode was produced and edited by Brianna Stegel. Lexi Banks is our marketing director, and I'm your host, Annalisa Holcomb.